We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey, this is George Kittle, and you're listening to Candlestick Chronicles. Welcome back to Candlestick Chronicles. My name is Chris Biederman. I cover the 49ers for the Sacramento Bee. I'm joined, as always, by Kyle Madsen of Niners Wire on the USA Today Sports Media Group. Kyle, what's going on? Not much, man. Just hanging out, uh, ready to enjoy a Friday night. It's been a long week, so excited to turn up. Yeah, we're gonna turn up tonight. <laughs> it's Friday. It's gonna be. It's gonna be lit, right? And by that, and by that, I mean I'm probably gonna have a glass of red wine and watch some Great British Baking Show. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm definitely gonna watch uh, Demarcus Cousins' debut with the Warriors. But before we can get into that. Uh, we have a, an interesting episode lined up for you guys today. We're going to do, it's going to be a what if podcast episode. So we're going to talk about a bunch of different what ifs revolving the 49ers and and dive into some situations and decisions that they could have made and how it would have impacted the, the current state of the team. Um, so we have some interesting questions uh, about players they could have acquired or games they could have or, or should have lost for draft positioning, things like that. Uh, but first, we got to talk about. Uh, there's a little bit of news. Court, 49ers quarterbacks coach Rick Scangarello took the offensive coordinator job with the Denver Broncos. That obviously leaves a void in, in Kyle Shanahan's staff, and Scangarello was was largely responsible for for getting Jimmy Garoppolo up to speed, and and you know C.J. Beathard and Nick Mullins up to speed, obviously. Um, and a, a key a key member of Shanahan's staff, but maybe not a vital one, given that he didn't really call plays, and the Niners haven't. Uh, officially named a replacement, but it could be that Mike McDaniel or, or Michael Floor gets that job. We'll have to see. Uh, the 49ers added some defensive coaches. Joe Woods takes over for Jeff Halfley as a secondary coach. Uh, Chris Kosurik, I want to say. I, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing his name correctly, but he's the new defensive line coach after spending time with the Dolphins last year and then previously with the Detroit Lions. So 
the key point, I guess, with uh, with new defensive staff hires is that the Niners have new position coaches at, at their weakest points, in, both in the secondary and on the defensive line. And obviously, aside from DeForest Buckner, the defensive line hasn't been good enough these last couple of seasons. So the team fired Jeff Scanina. Uh, their their previous defensive line coach and, and Jeff Halfley, of course, the secondary coach became a co-defensive coordinator at Ohio State. And I'm not sure the 49ers would have moved on from Halfley. I know a lot of the players had good things to say about him and, and Kyle Shanahan did obviously too. Um, but Joe Woods is a guy who was a, a coordinator for, for the Broncos the last two seasons. And he was also given the pass game coordinator title. And it's my understanding that that's just something that, you know, he was an in-demand coach. Uh, being a pass game coordinator is sort of a nod to the fact that he was a defensive coordinator the last couple of years, and he's probably going to get a higher salary than a typical secondary coach would. So I guess that's that would explain the the pass game coordinator job title. Um, but I don't know that it's going to mean much. Uh, I think the key with Joe Woods is he broke into the league in 2004, 2005 with with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers who were working under then, you know, defensive coordinator Monty Kiffin, who was hugely influential on Pete Carroll, who created the cover three defense that the 49ers run under Robert Sala. So it kind of comes full circle there. Um, And I think that's enough talk about the coaching hires. Let's get into what we were going to talk about this episode. And and it's a bunch of what ifs. So I think, uh, Kyle, you you had an interesting point. Why Why don't you start us off with with a what if dating back a few years and and the Super Bowl in New Orleans. I want to know what your thoughts are on what would have happened had the 49ers scored there at the end at the end of the game. Let's go what if they scored and then got the stop they would have needed on defense and won the Super Bowl. Ooh, okay. What, so what, what is that? If the 49ers win the Super Bowl, um, there are a few things. Obviously, Colin Kaepernick's career is, is vastly different. Jim Harbaugh probably gets a contract extension. Um, but I'm not sure things really would have shaken out that much differently. Obviously, in 2013, they had another really good season, nearly went to the Super Bowl. The, the year ended with that epic NFC title game in Seattle, which was honestly probably one of the best games I've ever been to in person. Um, and And then things really started to crumble from there. You saw... You know, the erosion of Jim Harbaugh's relationship with the locker room and obviously the front office and high ranking members of the 49ers organization leaking things to national media members uh, that were certainly not so flattering. Um, I kind of think if they won that Super Bowl, the, the Harbaugh divorce might have been even uglier because there was so much more money on the line because he probably would have been given a contract extension after winning the Super Bowl. Um, so things really did blow up. Uh, largely because they didn't win the Super Bowl, but I also think things would have been as bad, if not more corrosive, had they won that Super Bowl, because then you're talking about a team with with really championship expectations and Harbaugh not you know, being able to live up to that or replic- replicate that going forward. And, you know, a bunch of guys aging out um, and who were, you know, really run into the ground. And I think that was apparent right after Harbaugh left with that mass exodus of players when you're talking about, you know, Patrick Willis retiring, Justin Smith retiring. Um, Chris Borland. His issues that that became more apparent later that summer when he was released just before the 2015 season. Um, So, you know, I think winning the Super Bowl obviously would have been a great thing, but I think it would have created more expectations. There would have been a lot more on the line because Harbaugh would have been probably the highest paid coach in the NFL 
And then it would have just been, you know, the, the catastrophe that it ended up being just would have been higher profile. Yeah, I think I think the the biggest mistake that was made there was was letting Trent Balky acquire talent for so long. But as as time has gone on, I've realized that because when when the 49ers first fired Jim Harbaugh, mutually parted ways with Jim Harbaugh, I was pretty much I was I was in disbelief uh that that they would do that and I was like, "Man, if they had only won the Super Bowl, they would have given him his contract extension and everything would have been fine." But I think as history goes on and we kind of start to learn more and, and get a better perspective on things, there that was a situation that was going to blow up whether they won that Ravens Super Bowl or whether they beat the Seahawks and won the next year's Super Bowl. That was a ticking time bomb, I, I feel like. And like you said, it probably just would have gotten messier because there would have been more money involved. Uh, if you had asked me that three years ago, I probably would have felt a little bit differently. But seeing now kind of everything that's come out since then and and reflecting on a lot of the things that went down, I, I'm not, I think the only thing that, I think the most beneficial thing that happens for the 49ers is, is for Colin Kaepernick. Right. Like I, I really think that that is the most, that that's the thing that changes the most there. And Frank Gore would have a ring. Well, you'll, you'll remember in 2014, they really started to ask Kaepernick to be a different kind of player. I think largely because defenses started to adapt to the the zone read stuff that they were doing, right? So the Niners were spreading the ball out and throwing the ball a ton and asking Kaepernick to win games with his arm, and they were struggling. And and you know, there's a lot more to that. It's not just Kaepernick couldn't handle it or or things like that. There was a lot going on behind the scenes in the locker room with drama. You remember before that 2014 season. You know, the Niners were burnt out. Jim Harbaugh had really long training camp practices. Um, obviously, they were playing deep into the season. He really, really just had his foot on the gas pedal the entire time. And when you have a veteran roster that had that had won a lot before, um, that started to wear thin. And, and I think, you know, on the record, no, no one was really saying much except maybe for Alex Boone, who talked about, you know, we, we've been <laughs> to the mountaintop and, and I forget exactly what his quote was, but he essentially said we didn't need to be worked as hard as we as hard as we were and and that makes me think about you know August of 2014 they go have joint practices with the Baltimore Ravens uh and it actually happened after their first preseason game so typically like you if you pr- play a preseason game on a Thursday uh you'll get the weekend off and then return to practice next week the Niners didn't get a weekend off the Niners played i believe they played their preseason opener against Baltimore and then had practices the weekend after. So they had a day, day off Friday and then had like padded practices, joint practices with another team, like competitive ones, you know, after going to three straight NFC title games and playing in the Super Bowl. And it's, and I just remember like a bunch of the veterans being like, what are we doing? (laughs) Like, that's crazy. And and so I think that sort of started all of it. And then there's, there's all the, you know, the, the way the offense changed with with you know them asking to do Kaepernick asking Kaepernick to do more um, and they loaded up on receivers and the receivers didn't necessarily work out with Brandon Lloyd and there was a whole stadium drama and the fact that you know Harbaugh took took the team off of the practice field in Levi's Stadium because the turf was coming up and there were a bunch of you know there are ten thousand fans in the stands waiting to to watch the team practice and 
and Harbaugh takes him off the field. Um, it, there, there was a lot that went on there, but that's that's been much much discussed um, and is well in the past. But yeah, I think we agree that that the situation would have blown up regardless of whether they won that Super Bowl or not. Let's go to a more recent what if. Yeah. So it's pretty well known by now that Kyle Shanahan had an infatuation with with bringing Kirk Cousins to the 49ers, or at least he was comfortable with the with the idea of bringing. Kirk Cousins to the 49ers in, in 2018 as a free agent, right from, when he got real, the job, right? And, and he made real quick, real quick. Yeah. From what I understand, he, that was just kind of how he was operating, that Kirk Cousins was going to be his quarterback in 2018. Yeah. And he, he basically said as much, uh, I believe it was to Tim Kawakami on his podcast for The Athletic. Uh, he said, you know, before the Jimmy Garoppolo situation, they were pretty much banking on, you know, worst case scenario, we have what we're going to have. Kirk Cousins be our quarterback and we'll get him in free agency because, you know, we have all this cap space, yada, yada, yada. And that was well before the Jimmy Garoppolo trade presented itself. And you'll remember the Patriots were, were the team that contacted the 49ers about Garoppolo after the 49ers sort of planted the seeds uh, with Bill Belichick at the, at the combine previously, because obviously the 49ers had avoided quarterback right after John Lynch and, and Kyle Shanahan were hired. So Shanahan basically operated under the pretext that, in 2018, we're going to have Kirk Cousins as our quarterback, which led to the first round of the 2017 draft, which is a very interesting what if. So the 49ers obviously have the number two pick. Uh, they could have had their choice of quarterbacks. They could have taken Mitchell Trubisky. Um, Shanahan said after the fact that Trubisky was the highest graded quarterback on their draft board. I don't want to call him a liar. I just don't know if I necessarily believe that. Um, because you'll remember Deshaun Watson and Mahomes and Patrick Mahomes were in that draft. Um, and uh, all three of those quarterbacks played in the playoffs this year, by the way. Um, so with Cough. the 49ers banking on having a shot at Kirk Cousins in 2018, they wound up taking Solomon Thomas. They traded back one spot with the Bears uh, for a collection of picks that they helped use to get back into the first round of, the, of that draft to take Reuben Foster 31st overall. So instead of the 49ers taking Patrick Mahomes or Deshaun Watson, uh, and Mahomes went 10th, I believe, and Watson went 12th. Yeah, to the and both the, the Chiefs and Texans traded up, uh, which it's for they, they included packages, including first round picks to those teams to trade up and get those quarterbacks. But the 49ers wound up taking Solomon Thomas third overall, and you have to wonder what if. They traded back, for forego the chance at, at taking Solomon Thomas, and then draft Patrick Mahomes or Deshaun Watson. Then what kind of team are, are the 49ers looking at having and how much cap space they, they would still have to play with because they wouldn't have to give out a $137.5 million contract to Jimmy Garoppolo. And they would have had an additional second-round pick last year. And I want, I, I want to, to reiterate here, because we're not saying they should have done this or that we were pounding the table for this at the time or that a bunch of people were. Uh, this is just kind of looking back and going, hey, what if this would have happened? Uh, I, I think that's an important distinction to make. But we, we're we seeing in the NFL now that teams, when they have a young quarterback who is talented, as we've seen uh, Mahomes and Watson, and you have to figure would would Mahomes have thrown for 5000 yards and 50 touchdowns in his rookie year probably not but 
you have to figure he would have had some semblance of success in Kyle Shanahan's system, right? Especially figuring all the cap space they would have had and the players they would have been able to acquire uh, with that cap space and the talent they would have had around them. Uh, it would be very, very fascinating to see how this front office operated with the luxury of a con of a quarterback on a rookie contract. Absolutely. And, and you remember, I mean, they, they went into that draft with Brian Hoyer and Matt Barkley as their quarterbacks and they completely cleaned house when they were, right. when they were first brought on and they didn't, you know, they didn't bring back Colin Kaepernick. Uh, they, they brought in Brian Hoyer essentially to be a backup or a bridge quarterback. And because, you know, they waited until early or late in the third round to get CJ Beathard, uh, they didn't really have anyone who could truly push Brian Hoyer for the job. And you have to wonder, like every, all, all the reports out of Kansas City indicate that Mahomes was just really incredible during practice, right? And one of yeah. the reasons why they felt so comfortable in moving on from Alex Smith and, and giving Mahomes the keys to the franchise was because of what he did on the practice field. And everything that we're seeing sort of confirms that. Um, and Andy Reid is no dummy, obviously. He's, he's, he's one of the best offensive coaches of this generation and, and right. has developed tons of quarterbacks throughout the years. But you have to you, you got to you got to say, what if, you know, what if the 49ers had taken Patrick Mahomes? Maybe they trade back to eight or nine. Maybe they get another first round pick and they're able to fortify the roster that way. And what if, you know, Mahomes presumably would have won that starting job over Hoyer? And and then the 49ers going from there. So that's an interesting what if I think Deshaun Watson, it's the same type of conversation. He's not, you know, he's not quite as incredible as Patrick Mahomes is. But but Watson, you know, he, he suffered the ACL injury. Um, he 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 still got Houston to the playoffs. They had some ridiculous winning streak this year where they win nine games in a row. Uh, yeah, to, to get there, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And so. You know, these are just what ifs, but not not that we're second guessing the idea of of you know trading for Jimmy Garoppolo and giving him out that contract. But the 49ers would be in a vastly different place had they decided that they liked Mahomes enough or Watson enough to to just draft them uh, rather than wait on Kirk Cousins. Uh, and really, the the reason why the 49ers ended up with Garoppolo in an indirect way is because they were they were willing to wait on Cousins and didn't feel the urgency to draft a quarterback in their first draft. They also uh, just kind of a, a small, what if jumping off of this is what if Garoppolo, what if they had franchised him this year? Let's say everything happens the same way, but they put the franchise tag on him and he gets hurt in week three. And now they have to go into this off season with a question mark at quarterback. And if they did decide to pay him long-term, they'd be paying him even more than they're paying him. Yeah, so that that's that's a very interesting question. So if they and and it was a point a lot of people were making at the time when the 49ers gave Garoppolo that that 5-year deal was that well, has he really shown enough? He 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 had seven career starts. He already he had right. already gotten injured once. Um and you know, this they they largely gave him this massive contract on the back of that 5-game winning streak which he played really well uh and he was, you know, statistically a top five quarterback during those five weeks. And obviously that's a small sample size and a lot goes into that. Um, and it might not necessarily be an indicator of what Garoppolo is over an entire career, but yeah, the 49ers could have said, you know, we're not totally comfortable giving him a long-term deal. We'll just give you the franchise tag. We'll pay you 
what, 23 or 25 million. Uh, and then we'll see what happens. And then, yeah, if, if Garoppolo suffered the same ACL injury three weeks into the season on the franchise tag, the 49ers would be at an incredibly interesting place right now yeah. because they would be looking at, you know, do that. Would they rather draft, uh, you know, Dwayne Haskins coming up or do they, um, you know, consider giving Garoppolo something like a two year contract worth 35 million and just, just sort of see something they could renegotiate down the road. If Garoppolo really does look like a franchise quarterback, once he's back healthy, that's certainly a very interesting discussion and an interesting conversation. And I think the people who obviously hindsight is twenty twenty, but the people who question giving Garoppolo a five-year contract on the back of five starts with the team, you know, I think it's, it's a real question to say, did, did he deserve it? I mean, yes and no. I think, you know, they, they obviously loved the way he commanded the team in the locker room and, and he, the way he fit and everything like that. Um, but it's proven out that it's a big risk when you when you give someone that much money without a huge body of work. And obviously anybody could have gotten hurt. Um, we don't know that, you know, Garoppolo's never really had any significant leg injuries or knee injuries throughout his career. So we don't know that that was something that was going to happen regardless. Another one I want to look at draft-wise, if, if it's okay if we move on here. Absolutely. What would Michael Thomas look like in this offense? Because there was a real possibility that the 49ers could have drafted Michael Thomas out of Ohio State a couple years ago. Let's Yeah, so let's go through the mechanics of that. So the 49ers, uh, they traded up in the 2016 draft from uh, – where were they? they? So they traded pick – they traded second round pick. They were yeah, they were picking thirty seventh overall. They traded that second round pick, a fourth round pick, and a sixth round pick to the Chiefs to move up to take Joshua Garnett in the twenties. I forget exactly where it was. Meanwhile, I think myself and a lot of other 49ers fans or other you know people who follow the draft on Twitter were saying, you know, Michael Thomas out of Ohio State. He's a really good receiver. He's undervalued. He's not the the craziest you know combine guy but like I, I i went to ohio state i watched a lot of their games michael thomas was a really good receiver and a really good route runner and had really good hands and all these things and i thought you know he would be a great pick for the 49ers in the second round michael thomas wound up going to the saints with the 47th pick after the 49ers traded three picks to move up 15 spots or whatever it was to take joshua garnett a guard who really hasn't done much since coming into the league uh, he's played. He played 15 games as a rookie. He struggled in that in that Chip Kelly offense. He was kind of a weird fit to begin with. He played mostly power at Stanford. Chip Kelly obviously was a was a zone zone running scheme guy. And then Garnett missed all of 2017 with a knee injury and hasn't really been somebody who's regarded for being in in the best shape and uh, things like that. Obviously, not good stuff when you're talking about a first round pick. But yeah, Michael Thomas. So, should we go through Michael Thomas's numbers? Yeah, sure. Well, I, I know he was on my fantasy team this year and is just a monster. <laughs> His rookie season: ninety-two catches, eleven hundred and thirty-seven yards, nine touchdowns. Uh, he fine. caught seventy-six percent of his balls. Uh, 2017, his second year, 104 catches, 1,245 yards, five touchdowns. Golly. He caught 69 per eight, 69.8% of his targets. Nice. This year, I mean, he's just, he's, he's ridiculous. He caught 125 passes on 147 targets. Golly. So that, 
he caught 85% of his targets from Drew Brees. Uh, his 125 catches were the most in the NFL, and he scored nine touchdowns. And obviously, he's been a monster in the playoffs for the Saints so far. And I understand that Drew Brees is better than any quarterback the 49ers have had in the last three years. No question. That's a but huge at the part same of it. Time, but at the same time, not any receiver puts up numbers like that. Not saying you could you could immediately plug in Thomas's numbers into the 49ers offense, but he would be the most productive receiver on their team by a wide margin. Do you remember who the 49ers leading receivers were in 2016? In 2016, um, hang on. I have hang them. On. I have them. But I want to try and guess. Okay. Um, shoot, I, I have my years all up. Who was it? Uh, Jeremy Curley. Oh, that was the Jeremy Curley year. Four catches, three touchdowns, 667 yards. Uh, second was Quinton Patton, 37 catches, 408 yards. <laughs> Um, and then you have to go all the way down. You have Sean Jerome, who was third on the team, Garrett Selleck, Carlos Hyde, Vance McDonald, Torrey Smith uh, had 20 catches for 267 yards that year in 12 games. Uh, Rod Streeter, 18 catches. I mean, really just an abysmal group of, of skill players in 2016. And obviously that was a horrendous year for the 49ers. It led to Chip Kelly getting fired after one season. Um, but yeah, passing on Michael Thomas for Josh Garnett, uh, not great. Not great for them. Interesting to think about what that would have looked like for sure. Yeah, uh, yeah, he probably wouldn't have been a, a perennial thousand-yard receiver out of the out of the gate because the Niners were so dysfunctional and they they were having quarterback issues at that point. But it's impossible to look at that receiving core and think, well, you know, Michael Thomas would not have provided a crazy upgrade over over what they had. I mean, they went into that year with Jeremy Curley, Quentin Patton, and Torrey Smith as their top didn't, three guys. Didn't they sign Jeremy Curley like late too? Yeah. Man, that's yep. that's tough. That's really tough. Yep. So here, let's let's move on to the next one. The Niners did, and this one is is pretty defensible, I think. Uh, so yep. in 2017, they traded a third round draft pick to the Saints for a 2018 second round draft pick. So uh, Kyle, any guesses on who the Saints? use that third round pick on um man i've got i got nothing for you alvin Kamara. oh sure of course yeah so, so the, the, the Kamara obviously is is one of the best if not the best young running backs in the nfl right now just like a, a complete weapon in both you know the, the running game and the passing game he's who we thought reggie bush would be in the nfl exactly and and so what w- would Alvin Kamara fit in in Kyle Shanahan's offense? I don't think there's any doubt that the 49ers obviously have had issues with running back with their running backs these last couple seasons, and Kamara might have have really. I I don't think he would have had any problem emerging as a similar star with San Francisco as he has in New Orleans. Obviously, you know Drew Brees is and and Sean Payton are are really good at their jobs, and that's an incredible combination, but. I have to think Kamara's star still would have shown through the issues that the 49ers have had. Um, Carlos Hyde never really adapted to Kyle Shanahan's outside zone running scheme. Obviously, the 49ers moved on from Carlos Hyde, and maybe they would have moved on from Carlos Hyde a lot sooner if they had drafted Alvin Kamara. Uh, But, I mean, it's defensible, right? You trade a 2017 third-round pick for a 2018 second-round pick. I mean, that's just, you know, that's that's like – 
trading a, a, a one dollar bill for a five dollar bill if you get the five dollar bill you know a year down the road or whatever it yeah. just happened to be that that pick was Alvin Kamara yeah and that's one of those ones where you make that trade in the moment you're not going oh I don't know maybe in the third round there's going to be uh, this running back who turns out to be a perennial all pro so we can't if if that's your mindset in a draft you then you'll never do anything because you're never right. going to trade a pick you're never because it's the ultimate like FOMO. So yeah, like you said, that right. one's that one's defensible because Alvin Kamara just happened to be really good. And the 49ers, they, they had consecutive picks in in early in that third round because you remember they got that that pick uh, from the Bears in the trade to move up for Mitchell Trubisky to take him second overall when the 49ers moved back one spot to say, take Solomon Thomas. So they had consecutive picks. They had the Bears pick in the third round, which was the one they ended up sending to New Orleans. The 49ers used their pick in the third round, a pick before Kamara went on Akella Witherspoon, and then that was three spots ahead of the Rams taking that wide receiver Cooper Cup, who has turned out to be a really good pick for them too. I broke the table pounding it for Cooper Cup. Say it again? I said I broke the table pounding it for Cooper Cup, by the way. Yeah, you're right about that. (laughs) You were right about that. Okay, so let's go back. Our next what if, a, uh, a, a year earlier, um, the 49ers playing a week 16 game with a one in 13 record, I believe. Yep. Uh, one against in, a, against yeah, one in um, Colin Kaepernick finds Rod Streeter for a 10 yard touchdown with 31 seconds left. The 49ers wind up winning the game 22 to 21. Uh, earlier in the day, if you remember, the Cleveland Browns, who were winless, uh, beat the San Diego Chargers at home to improve to one and thirteen. The 49ers would have been in the driver's seat for the top overall pick in the 2017 draft, but they won that game. They wound up picking second. Um, they they finished two and fourteen. Obviously, I think the Browns went one and fifteen, and the 49ers had would had the tiebreaker and strength of schedule in terms of getting that higher draft pick. So that meaningless win against the Rams, I want to say it was Christmas Eve. Uh, cost the 49ers a chance to, to get Miles Garrett and have that number one overall pick with Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch opening their tenures. Instead, they end up with the number two pick, wind up with Solomon Thomas, and we already talked about the what-ifs as a result of that. But what if the 49ers had taken, been able to take Miles Garrett? They'd be a lot better than they are right now. <laughs> Yeah, if they had, I, I mean, when you look at that defense and we and we talk about what that defense needs, it's a player like Miles Garrett, a dominant edge rusher, and they were a ten yard pass to Rod Streeter away from having that player on their defense. It would have been a no brainer. There wouldn't have been any trading back. There wouldn't have been any any weird moves. There, it would have been, it would have been Miles Garrett. So, yeah, Miles Garrett had seven sacks as a rookie and 13 and a half sacks last year, playing in all 16 games for the first time. Um, both those sack totals would have led the 49ers in, in each of the last two seasons. And presumably, I mean, there isn't a person out there that doesn't think Miles Garrett could be the best defensive end in, in football this season, certainly. I'd imagine he'll be among the favorites for defensive player of the year. Part of that's because the Browns are going to have a ton of hype coming into this season, but also dude is just a freak. He's going to be 24 years old and yeah, 13 and a half sacks in his first full season playing 16 games is a really good number. And it wouldn't surprise anybody to see him have 15 or more and just be perennially 
you know, one of the best defensive ends in the league. And obviously the 49ers have had huge issues there. And having Miles Garrett would certainly look a lot better at this point than having Solomon Thomas and Ruben Foster, who is no longer on the team. Yeah, I, that's, <laughs> I have nothing to add. That's, yeah. that's, they'd be way better off in that scenario. Okay, do you want to take us through this, this next what if? Where, where, which one are we at? All right, so, so what, let's go back to the 2016 draft, the, the fabled 2016 draft where Trent Baalke and Chip Kelly were, uh, were leading the way. Uh, we were we talking okay. about missing on Mike Thomas and instead trading up for Joshua Garnett. Um, there was a quarterback taken in the fourth round two spots after the 49ers drafted cornerback Rashard Robinson, who is no longer on the team. He was traded to the Jets uh, in 2017. He had run-ins with teammates and members of the coaching staff, and he's been suspended since for violating the league's substance abuse policy. Um, But there was a quarterback who went two picks after the Niners took Rashard Robinson. Kyle, do you know who that quarterback is? I believe it was Dakota Prescott. You are correct. I nailed it. Correct. So there was a there was a report from uh, Mike Garofolo of NFL Media, and he basically said it w- it was as the season was winding down and the noise was starting to grow that the 49ers would fire Chip Kelly and or Trent Baalke. They obviously ended up firing both. Um, but Garofolo reported, "quote There were a lot of people in that building, including Chip Kelly. I am told who liked Dak Dak Prescott going into the draft. So the fact that Prescott was tearing it up for the Cowboys while the 49ers were sitting there saying." We have an extremely unsettled quarterback situation. We like this guy before the draft. Why is he not on our team? That was part of the downfall for Balky. Um, so there are a few different takeaways from that. Uh, obviously, the 49ers had their quarterback issues in 2016, 2017. Would have would Prescott have solved those issues? I, I don't know. I don't know if Chip Kelly would have developed him to the point where he would have been a bona fide starter going forward. Um, yeah. But if he had, then is Chip Kelly still the coach? Was he, would he be given a second season? Um, and are we not even talking about Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch running the show? Um, and you know, is, is Dak Prescott good enough or would he have been good enough for the 49ers to maintain that spot? That's a, that's a fascinating one from, from my perspective. I'm not sure Prescott would be the player he is if he was on the 49ers because that 2016 49ers team, as we discussed earlier was really bad. And part of, part of what Prescott helped Prescott was Dallas had the best offensive line in the league. They had Ezekiel Elliott, who was a monster in his rookie season and still is. He got, he got a ton of help from, from the men, the, the talent already on that team. Des Bryant was still really good. Jason Witten Jason was Witten, still really yeah. good. Yeah, they had they had players on that team, and he would not have had that luxury in San Francisco. And if Dak Prescott's rookie year was sitting back behind a bad offensive line and getting wailed on while he floated passes to bad receivers, I'm not sure that <laughs> that he would have been in the running for for rookie of the year like he was. So I, that that's one of those ones that it looks bad given the 49ers quarterback struggles and his success in Dallas. But we've also seen him struggle a lot in Dallas. And I think that's closer to what we would have been seeing had they taken Prescott. Yeah. And I think that's totally fair. But one thing I would point out, I think Prescott is, is, you know, you have these, 
these quarterbacks that can sort of transcend the issues around them because of their ability to make like plays off yeah. schedule. Yeah. Like I think Pres- Prescott is, is mobile enough and athletic enough to maybe, you know, with when things broke down to, to maybe make some of those plays and, and maybe, you know, I, that that's really what Russell Wilson did early in his career, right? There, there wasn't a ton of offensive structure there for him early on. And, and he really was productive for them before he developed into what he is now as this kind of freelance guy who was able to, you know, avoid pressure and make plays downfield. And, and maybe Prescott was, would, would have been able to do some of that to at least, you know, ensure his starting spot going forward and maybe ensure the idea of, of Chip Kelly sticking around for longer than one season. But that's a fascinating one. And maybe, you know, like, like you said, maybe they draft Prescott, maybe he turns out not to be any good because of the, the surrounding circumstances were so bad. And then uh, Chip Kelly gets Chip Kelly and Trent Baalke get fired anyway. Well, let's take a quick break. Hey, it's Chris. And like the rest of us, you probably made a New Year's resolution. If you're planning to eat better, exercise more, be more patient, kinder, or whatever, it all starts with a good night's rest. Go to MyPillow.com, click on the four-pack special, and enter my promo code COZY, C-O-Z-Y, and you'll get two premium MyPillows and two Go Anywhere pillows. It's amazing what a difference a great pillow makes. If you go to MyPillow.com right now and click on their four-pack, shipping is absolutely free. That's right, no shipping costs. Zippo, zilch, nada, and don't forget about their 60-day money-back guarantee. There's nothing better than the gift of restorative sleep. Go to MyPillow.com, click on the four-pack special, and use my code Cozy, C-O-Z-Y, to get two premium my pillows and two go anywhere pillows. MyPillow.com or call 800-966-1472. And remember, my promo code can be used for any offer on MyPillow.com. Again, that's promo code Cozy, C-O-Z-Y. You've heard plenty of stories about drug cartels. They're all over the news, but the crime ring you've probably never heard of is one of the most dangerous in the world. They are the Mennonite mob. You heard right, Mennonites. 99% of them are kind, God-fearing people, but there's one group that has smuggled millions of dollars in narcotics from Mexico to Canada. Wednesday, starting January 23rd at 10, 9 central, WGN America presents a new TV series, Pure, based on the true events of the Mennonite mob. The show is about Noah Funk, the newly elected Mennonite pastor who is determined to rid his community of the drug cartel, but he finds himself weighing over his head, and the good pastor, along with his wife, will do some very bad things all in the name of protecting their family. Think of Pure as Breaking Bad meets Witness meets Narcos. Get hooked on Pure, Wednesday starting January 23rd at 10, 9 central, only on WGN America. WGN America is available on DirecTV channel 307, Dish channel 239, or check your local cable listings for the channel in your area. This is Mike McGlinchey, the San Francisco 49ers. You're listening to Candlestick Chronicles. With some quick ones, um, you know, the, the Niners took Tank Carradine in the second round of the 2012 draft. He went... One pick before Robert Woods, uh, two picks before Melanick Watson, four picks before Kwan Short, who obviously would have been a much better pick along the defensive line than Tank Carradine. Uh, Tank Carradine also went eight picks ahead of running back uh, Le'Veon Bell. Who's that? <laughs> yeah, he didn't play this year. Uh, good player, though. <laughs> yeah, he's out, uh, the he's out of the league already? Ugh, give me Tank. <laughs> <laughs> um, also, Vance McDonald. Uh, you remember him, also currently on the Vance. Pittsburgh Steelers. Huge Vance um, guy. Vance McDonald went uh, eight picks ahead of Travis Kelsey in that same draft. Travis Kelsey, uh, along with George Kittle, this year broke the uh, previous single season mark for receiving yards by a tight end. Uh, so Travis Kelsey has been very good. 
and probably better than Vance McDonald. There is a real world scenario because a tight end wasn't the missing piece for the 49ers and they probably still would have been pretty bad the last couple of years. There is a real life possibility where the 49ers have Travis Kelsey and they draft George Kittle. Like that's yeah, the thing that, that could have been pretty good. That would have been that would have been amazing. Uh, a couple more random ones. Jimmy Ward, the defensive back who may or may not be on the team next year, uh, struggled with injuries, obviously ended four of his five seasons on injured reserve. Uh, lots of broken bones and ankles and quads and things with, with Jimmy Ward. He went four picks ahead of uh, Demarcus Lawrence, uh, who played last year on the franchise tag with the Cowboys a year after getting 17 sacks. I think he had a similarly productive season this year and is due for a massive contract, obviously one of the best edge rushers in the NFL, which would help more than Jimmy Ward. Right? I, I think so. Uh, but Jimmy okay. Ward is super versatile on the back end, so don't sleep on that. Uh, <laughs> so I want to talk about the 2018 season real quick. What are we talking about? What are we looking at right now? What was the 49ers record, and what are we talking about this offseason had – they had Jarek McKinnon for 16 games. Had they had Jimmy Garoppolo for 16 games, and then everybody else was relatively healthy. I know there's bumps and bruises in an NFL season. You're going to have guys miss games here and there, but they have Marquise Goodwin healthy. They have Jarek McKinnon. Matt Breida is healthy. What kind of record are we looking at? And what are we talking about this off season? Yeah. So when the schedule came out last April, I thought I predicted the 49ers would go 10 and six. And that was largely based on the idea that Garoppolo would be, you know, he would have more of the playbook at his disposal. The offense would be more diverse. Jarek McKinnon obviously is, is a vastly different player than Garoppolo had in his first season. Uh, he, and, and really what we saw in training camp was, seemed really promising. McKinnon was lining up all over the field. Um, he seemed like, he would have been just as valuable in the passing game as he would have been in the running game. Right. Uh, he was lining up in the slot. He was lining up out wide, I think. And Kyle Shanahan talked about it. He said, you know, this is a guy we brought in because he's a matchup nightmare for guys. Um, and I think he was a dynamic that the offense really missed uh, after he got hurt. So I think the offense, one of the reasons why Garoppolo struggled is because they had to remake a lot of the things that they planned on doing because they didn't have McKinnon, who was going to be a real focal point for them. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think we would we'd be talking about the 49ers either, you know, the the Seahawks went 10 and 6. I think the Niners versus the Seahawks for that that wild card spot would have been a real conversation and and it would have been fascinating to see how it all played out. Because I think the Niners and Seahawks would have been on on pretty equal footing yeah. with Garoppolo healthy and with McKinnon healthy. Um so, you know, it would have come down to a game or two here or there, but I would imagine that the 49ers would have at least been in the playoff hunt uh, for the entire uh, the, the entire season and into December. Um, so, yeah, it's a, it's a huge what if. It's it's it's. It, but what? That, that's not how it happens. Yeah, <laughs> the aspect of this I think is fascinating. Is that I still think the conversation this offseason is exactly the same. I think we're still talking about how they need an edge rusher. They're picking probably somewhere in the late teens, early twenties. And we're talking about how good thing for the Niners is a deep edge class because, you know, that's a, that's the biggest weakness on their roster. And, you know, should they trade up and try and grab one of these guys? I, I still think the conversation is largely the same 
about how this team has to improve moving forward. I, I still think that that they would need a red zone threat. Maybe they'd have been a little better in the red zone with Garoppolo and McKinnon, but they would still need a playmaker in that area of the field because I just don't think they have one on the roster, whether it's fully healthy or not. So I, I'm, I agree with you that they're probably sitting at between eight and 10 wins, but the the offseason conversation, I feel like, is is probably pretty close to the same. Yeah, and then there there's also the the Pierre Garcon dynamic to this conversation, right? So he he only played in eight games. He had a knee injury. He was banged up. Uh, he never really got on track with Garoppolo. Obviously, those two didn't play together last year or in 2017 because uh, the Niners traded for Garoppolo two days after Garcon suffered a, a small fracture in his neck that cost him the second half of the season. But um, yeah, it maybe. Maybe Garcon and Garoppolo would have really figured things out, and maybe Garcon would have been far more productive than he ended up being had Garoppolo stayed healthy. And who knows if if Garcon gets hurt? But yeah, I mean the the receiver thing is a real issue, the red zone thing is a real issue, and and I have no reason to believe that that the you know the the defensive issues would have remained whether or not Garoppolo you know would have been would have been healthy or not. They, they obviously have, like you said, they have issues that they need to clean up on that end, particularly at edge rusher. So it is a fascinating thing. Um, and you, you have to wonder had Garoppolo stayed healthy. I think how, how the conversation changes though is, is, is about expectations, right? Like with Garoppolo missing 13 games, the 49ers are just, the expectations are, well, hopefully they will be in the playoff mix next year, right? Like that's, that's sort of the trajectory of where this is going had Garoppolo stayed healthy and they would have been just short of the playoffs or they went to the playoffs but lost, you know, in the first couple rounds or whatever, then it's like, all right, they have to build on that. They have to be maybe, you know, a Super Bowl contender uh, the next season. So I, I do think that's probably the major difference when we're talking about these injuries to guys like Garoppolo and, and Jarek McKinnon. Yeah, and that's going to be get, getting away from from the what if thing. But based on what you just said, that's going to be a fascinating thing to watch develop throughout this year is what the expectation is for the 49ers going into 2019. Um, It comes down to to what moves they make, right? Oh, yeah, totally. If they get Earl Thomas, uh, if somehow, you know, uh, Nick Bosa falls to them at pick number two, and if they, you know, land Antonio Brown, then you're talking about, all right, this is a team that, should not only compete with the Rams, who are playing in the in the NFC title game this weekend, uh, but you you should probably consider yourself a power in the NFC if you add those three guys, which would basically solve their three biggest weaknesses, uh, aside from you know getting Garoppolo back healthy, obviously. Yeah, that's going to be the biggest key moving forward. I think obviously free agency in the draft, but <laughs> they just got to have they just got to have players. They just got to have people out there that can starters that can suit up. I mean, that's, that's going to be the biggest thing. So why don't we take, take a quick look at, or talk about the, uh, the upcoming conference titles, title games. Who do you, who do you like this weekend? Let's start in the AFC with the chiefs and the, and the Patriots playing at Arrowhead. This is so tough because my, my playoff thing last week was I'm not going to complicate this. I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm picking the favorites except the chargers. I overthought it. I took the chargers and I, and I went three and one. 
So I tried to do the same this week, but I can't tell if I pick the Chiefs, am I overthinking it by picking against the Patriots? Or if I pick the Patriots, am I overthinking by picking against the home team? And I decided that I'm going to pick the Chiefs. I'm going to pick against the Patriots for the second consecutive week. And I'm sure it's going to come back to burn me. Yeah, I I think the, the only – I'm my mind says to pick the Chiefs because everything I see on the field, you know, obviously the Chiefs are the home team. The Chiefs are an incredibly explosive offense. Uh, the Chiefs are more talented than the Patriots. But my gut says it's going to be the Patriots because Bill Belichick and Tom Brady are going to do what they did last week. And it's basically just going to be them outsmarting the opponent and finding a way to win the game and taking advantage of Patrick Mahomes' inexperience and, and throwing some wrinkles at him defensively that maybe he hasn't seen yet. Um, the offense, you know, the Chiefs' defense has played – they played well, obviously, against the Colts last week, but the Chiefs' defense is, is far from elite. Um, and I think Tom Brady in that spot is not going to be scared. That being said, they don't have a great record. I forget exactly what it is, and I, I should have known this, but – they don't have a great record on the road in playoff games, the Patriots. So maybe it's just Patrick Mahomes' time. I don't know. It's really tough to say. But everything in my mind is just, you know, f- football-wise and and looking at the talent on the field and the matchups and, you know, obviously Patrick Mahomes is really good. That all points me to take the Chiefs. But my gut says the Patriots are just going to figure it out and win. Yeah, and that's, that's where you can just... I feel like you can just see the future headline of Brady and Belichick do it again, da 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 da, da. and then we're also going to get the talking head hot takes of like, is Andy Reid ultimately holding Patrick Mahomes back? <laughs> like, oh, that's a, how are you not prepared? Andy Reid just can't just can't get it done. Need to hire a new coach. That's I, I do the, think like Andy Reid probably of all like the great coaches that have been in, in the NFL in the last twenty years. Andy Reid is up there in terms of catching the most grief for not winning a title. And he's had, you know, he's had his, his time management issues late in games and some, some major gaps in the playoffs and things like that. But it's just kind of his time, right? It has, it it has, like it's, it, it's Andy Reid's time. He has this incredible quarterback, uh, incredible array of weapons. Like they have the home field advantage. I just have, I, this, know, man. I have this really hard time imagining that I'm going to sit there I, I'm going to live in a universe where my where my son or daughter is is super into football and and we talk about it all the time, and I have to tell them like, yeah, hey, that amazing coach Andy Reid who's on all the wins lists and everybody talks about his influence on the game never won a Super Bowl. I feel like that's not going to happen. He's got to get one. He's got to get one. I think he I think he deserves one. Okay, so let so let's go to the NFC game. Uh, the Rams are traveling to New Orleans to play Drew Brees and the Saints. I mean, is it, it, it feels like it's just as simple as the saints are playing at home. They're basically impossible to beat in the dome. And that's kind of how this is going to play out. Do you want my hot take? Sure. My hottest football take of the year. I think, wow. I think the Rams are going to get boat raced. That's not that hot of a take. I think the saints win by like 30, maybe not 30. I think the saints win by three scores though. Like, okay. I, I, I mean, I can totally see it. The more I think about it, the more I feel like uh, they're going to make Jared Goff beat them in the dome. And I just don't think Jared Goff is that good. And maybe he proves me wrong and throws for 450 and five touchdowns and they win. But I, I really foresee a scenario where the Saints, maybe it's a little, they feel each other out early, but then the Saints go up uh, like two scores and really pin their ears back and Goff is just lost. 
and things snowball on them. And at the end of the game, we're looking and going, you know, for all the people trying to get Sean McVay disciples, he hasn't really done much yet. And look at what happened in the biggest game. They choked. So right. I think I think the Saints win and, and win going away. Yeah, I I think it's going to be close just because I have to give Sean McVay some credit. I, I did not think that the Rams would be able to run the ball against the Cowboys like, yeah. like they did and really take the ball out of Jared Goff's hands like they did in the last round. Um, so I think you have to give the Rams credit for that, but yeah, I mean, I just don't see them winning. I don't see Jared Goff going in, you know, Jared Goff enters a fourth quarter down 10 points. Do you bank on him to orchestrate two quick touchdown drives on the road in, in, in that place? Right. I I just don't see it. So yeah, I mean, if Todd Gurley runs for 200 yards and, and the Rams are able to get some turnovers, then I think that's their best shot. But Sean Payton can figure out ways to get the ball out of Drew Brees' hands quickly. And I don't necessarily know that Aaron Donald is going to be able to dominate the game in a way he would against, you know, less efficient offenses. And, you know, there's a Michael Thomas guy we talked about at length in this podcast who was basically impossible for the Rams to cover the last time they played in the regular season. And obviously they, they were missing Aqib Tlaib in that one. Uh, so I would imagine Tlaib gets, gets the majority of the, of the reps against Thomas. But yeah, I just don't. I just don't think the Rams are going to have enough. I think this everything it sort of points to this being Drew Brees' year, um, and I think you know I, I think the Saints, rightfully so, are probably the favorites to win the Super Bowl at this point. And I think it sort of feels like the coronation of Drew Brees. I know he's won one Super Bowl, but you really get legitimized as an all-time great when you win two. Yep. And I, I sort of think that's where Brees belongs on the you know, on the, on the totem pole of all time quarterbacks. I think you've got to talk about him as one, as one of the, you know, five best ever say. And, and I think this might be the year that, that he elevates himself into that conversation. Yeah. If, if, if Peyton Manning's going to be in there with his quote unquote two, even though that defense carried them to the second one, if Drew Brees goes out and they win a Super Bowl kind of on his right arm this year at 39 years old or 40 years old or wherever he's at now, I think he just turned 40. So at 40 years old, uh, that that cements him to me as a top three guy all time. So so I'm I'm right there with you. I, I'm picking the Saints to win this weekend, and regardless of who they play in the Super Bowl, I'm I'm going to pick them to win it. Yeah, I think I agree with you on that. I, I think the Saints are going to win the Super Bowl. Um, Saints. I think it's going to be the Saints and. Uh, I mean, either way, if it's Saints and Patriots or Saints and Chiefs, like that should be a really really fun game. Yep. Um, um, there are zero. Somebody asked me on the radio the other day what matchup I was not looking forward to. If they're like, what matchup would I like the least? And I couldn't. I mean, Rams Patriots is probably the least desirable matchup. And I would watch the shit out of that game. <laughs> yeah, there, there's no I mean, that's that's the good thing when you have the the top two seeds going going head to head in these in these title games this weekend. All right, Kyle, I think with that, we got to wrap this thing up. Uh, Thank you for listening to Candlestick Chronicles. You can subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to your podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Uh, We are out. Mother's Day is almost here. And you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. 
Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried and true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during Movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.